Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking about the 1992 American fantasy comedy, Stay Tuned, which according to the director was conceived as a sort of the evil dead meets Monty Python. That's nice. I like that description. Yeah, yeah. This movie is precisely the ridiculous uh, piece of fluff it was intended to be. Every single part of the movie is intentional. And it's really just 80s sitcom nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's made for vidiots by vidiots. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love this movie. I think it's like a per- the perfect movie. And it's, it's, to me, you know, it's like bag of popcorn. You buy it, you pop it, you eat it, you throw it away. This is this movie. It's like you just want to yeah, watch exactly. it. And you're like, all right, that was awesome. And like, you know. Growing up is like one of my favorite movies. It's like I thought it was fucking amazing to like, get, oh yeah, zapped into like alter reality with like, like a remote control and shit. Yeah, it's it's a catalog of of mid to late eighties pop culture. Yeah, and so sit here watching it, and here we are approaching the mid twenties, and uh, it's like, oh shit, I remember that. Oh shit, I remember that through the whole movie. Oh yeah. And it's, it's like they got like perfect little gags and shit. That's like they didn't even film. They just like have a list of like TV shows that are they're parading. Right. And yep. each one's like fucking, a, you know, oh, dude, those are sweet references. I can't believe. Oh, that's clever. You know, and you're like, yep. Movie is rated PG, runs an hour and 27 minutes. It's a pretty short watch. It goes real quick. It's got a 47% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie was not screened for critics, so it's only got like 17 critic reviews. It was made on a budget of somewhere between 15 and 20 million dollars, managed to make 12 million at the box office. So it actually did go to like theaters and shit. Yes, it did. All right. Cuz I just remember it just like appearing on a VHS uh thing like i don't remember seeing any ads for this i mean the ads that i did see were like coming soon the home video you know the commercials right. at the end of another tape i don't remember it ever like and that's fucked up because i really like this but, yeah this uh, is this is actually a really fun movie now it might have been regionally released but apparently it wasn't broadly released that's messed up i think it, it had the potential and shit but yeah it it, it feels like some like that you would have seen in the theater as a kid Right. Yeah, no, the only time I've ever really seen this was, like, on VHS and cable. Now, once it came on cable, man, like, Cinemax was, like, just chucking this movie out there. Right, exactly, yeah. Tim Burton was originally supposed to direct this, and that would have made the difference between this being a a really fun movie and a, I don't know, I don't know if it would have been a better movie. It would have been a different movie. Yeah, when it came out, it would probably been, like, really commercial. Like, it would have been pushed it. a lot harder, too. Yeah, and probably, like, uh, poison shit. Right. You know, because it's so wacky and zany and Tim Burton-y. And, uh, yeah. It's still kind of zany and silly, but it's like... It's not Tim know. Burton stupid, though. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of, like, sophisticated. Like you said, like, uh, 
Monty Python and shit. It's like it's more like clever wordplay and uh Yeah, yeah. And you're in on every single joke in this movie. Oh, yeah, and I no. don't know that that would have happened with Tim Burton. Yeah, he would have been you know, like putting the wool on all eyes. But in this one, it's like, yeah, it's like Mad Magazine. You just open it up and you instantly get the parody and you instantly see why it's funny. Right. So Tim Burton didn't do this because he decided to make Batman Returns instead. Apparently, John Ritter and Pam Dauber just could not compete with Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah because like a, they had a lot of people lined up for the the parents in this and uh it just seemed like they lucked out on these two you know yeah you can go make a a dark batman movie or uh, a more family-oriented comedy you know it, it's pg there's some wordy dirt in there but you know it's not it's not something that uh wouldn't be considered a family movie and you know there's something for the kids there's something for their parents it's it's like yeah. a winkle. I'll accept for like two jokes. I think this is a, like a great like kind of family comedy. There's two of them that kind of land. I'm like, whoa. And there's one that really <laughs> kind of pisses me off. I'm like, dude, that is just not right. But yeah. the rest of it is really good. Really funny. Yeah. Movie was directed and 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 by Peter Hyams. He was also the cinematographer in this movie. Yeah. Uh, how better to make your movie the movie you want to make than be both the director and the cameraman? <laughs> it's a good dude, too, man. Yeah, he is best known for 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which is the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. He also made Outland, Time Cop, and End of Days. Yeah, uh, my favorite, though, is, yeah, like Outland, because that thing, like, back then, like, that was like sci-fi. I don't know. Right. I had the heavy metal where I had the like the comic book version of that movie. And so like I was like always into that movie. It's kind of like now it's like kind of like really long and drawn out. But back then that was that was sci-fi. Long right. and boring, you know. Uh and then yeah, uh he did uh Running Scare. Yes, which yes, he did. Man, when I was a kid, dude, that was the the buddy cop movie, you know. Right. Uh and then yeah, uh fucking time cop. Movie was written by Jim Genwine and Tom S. Parker. They are the writers. They are. They also wrote the screenplay for the Flintstones and its sequel, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Yeah, uh, that writing team. They they were like a bunch of like just generic paint by number nineties, uh, eighties, and nineties movies. Mostly nineties, just like kind of bland nineties crap. Yeah, just follow the formula. Pretty much, new yeah. names, new freshen up the dialogue. Follow the formula. Music was composed by Bruce Broughton. He yeah. is a prolific and award-winning composer who has worked on Silverado, Tombstone, Young Sherlock Holmes, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. All over the place, like the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, he yes. has a record ten Emmys for his uh, for his work. It's really epic, the sound of the music in the movie. It sounds like it is. some parts like Star Trek, and then some parts it sounds like Superman. And well, then I've got some... a note further down in here, but the opening sequence to this sounds an awful lot like something John Williams composed. Yeah, it seemed like a, a greatest hits medley of John Williams shit, but like yeah. played off tempo for some reason. It was weird. Yeah. Special effects coordinator was George Urshbaumer. He was the special effects guy for First Blood, Rocky Four, 
Iron e- and Iron Eagle 2, another Lou Gossett Jr. Saves the World movie. <laughs> and he also directed a bunch of direct-to-video horror films. Oh, yeah, that's what's up. There you go. And this movie features, this is my favorite part of the whole movie, an animated sequence supervised by Chuck Jones. Hell yeah. Chuck Jones, of course, a legendary animator, famous for his work on Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. He created and developed Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, Pepe Le Pew, Marvin the Martian, and he worked with MGM also to create and develop Tom and Jerry. The guy went all over. Like, people would just, like, hire him to, like, consult on animation and shit. He didn't even have to draw anything. They'd be like, hey, what do you think it is? He's like, it's crap. You know, and he's yeah, like, well, here's he, the money. He is one of the legendary animators, uh, worked with Tex Avery and Fritz Freling. Yeah, the guy went and, all over the animated world, man. And in 1996, he achieved a lifetime. He received an, a lifetime achievement Oscar for his compute contributions to animation, and is considered one of the greatest animators of all time. Suck it, Naruto. <laughs> uh, he he created one of my favorite like uh, Looney Tune guys. He's the one that did uh, fucking Wiley Coyote. Yes. And just that alone, this guy, you know, should be put up, like, on the mountain of, like, anime. He should be the first guy on, like, the Stonehenge of animation, you know? Yes, that's fair. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's uh, a childhood hero. Movie stars John Ritter as Roy Nabel. This is the fastest anybody has reappeared in a film for us. All right, yeah. I know about that. I feel this is, like... I'm stacking the deck or something. <laughs> I, I originally wanted to pick this movie out of the first year we did this show. Uh, but it, it shuffles so fast on streaming sites, you know? Right. But yeah, it was like one of my favorites. And when we did Real Man, I'm like, we got to do this movie because it was it was like one of the ones I first wanted to pick. And it's such a great movie. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. And we just talked about him three episodes ago in Real Men. John Ritter, best known as Jack Tripper in Three's Company and Paul Hennessy in Eight Simple Rules. He was the voice of Clifford the Big Red Dog and made appearances in classic TV shows and movies like The Waltons, MASH, and Sling Blade and died in 2003 from a ruptured aorta during rehearsals for an episode of Eight Simple Rules. Pam Dauber is Helen Nabel, Pam Dauber, of course, best known as Mindy McConnell on Mork and Mindy, opposite <laughs> Robin Williams. And that was, that had to be hard for her. I mean, she is, she's a really good actor in her own right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she had to play opposite Robin Williams, who is the mad scientist genius of comic acting. Well, she had, like, my sister Sam. She did? And then, plus, like, very extensive voiceover work. I mean, I think, yeah, this this movie right here was like her foot in the door to being like motherly cartoon figure number one, you know? Yeah. But what I meant really is, you know, when you're when you're working with Robin Williams, oh, there's no, probably yeah. never a, an easy day at work. No, she's not going to. Yeah, no. I, in fact, looking, going to her IDM page and it's yeah. got like a picture of her and then beside it, they play a video, you know, and shit. And the video playing on her page is just like a collage of Robin Williams. 
Oh, geez. She, yeah, she appeared in like a documentary about Robin Williams. So yeah. they just showed the, the trailer for that documentary, and it's nothing but like, yeah, a closet, man, like man. people laughing at him. So, yeah, even in at like, the same you know, time, though, at the same time, nothing's going to uh, sharpen your, your funny skills like having to keep up with Robin Williams, too. Oh, yeah, no, I'll keep going your toes, man. Yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been Jonathan Winters that appears <laughs> in the video package. <laughs> Jeffrey Jones is Spike. He is known for his role as Emperor Joseph II in Amadeus, Principal Rooney in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Charles Dietz in Beetlejuice, and he was newspaper publisher A.W. Merrick in Deadwood. He was also the voice of Doran in a 1973 episode of Star Trek the Animated Series. Really? He was. And we got G Eugene Levy as Crowley. I love Eugene Levy. This oh, guy's man. hilarious. Yeah, no. Best part of the movie, I think. Yeah, he really is. Of course, best known as Jim's dad in the American Pie series. He also played Noah Levenstein in the Best in Show series. And Johnny Rose in Shit's Creek. Yeah. Oh man, all those uh Christopher Guest movies, like you know, Spinal Tap, you know, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, all those every time Luke Eugene Levy's on the screen, I just I lose my shit. Yeah, he's fantastic. Just him him eating like uh green potatoes, he'll somehow he'll make that fucking hilarious. And <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I guess it's all in the eyebrows, right? I mean, he's got his thing, which is be flustered and, and angry, and, and it's great. And in this, him being like a sleazy TV executive and shit? Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Mm -hmm. David Tom as Daryl Nabel. He is one of the few child actors to have a successful career acting as an adult, thanks to soap operas. He spent 15 years playing Phil Burt on The Young and the Restless, followed by a brief stint on All My Children. And then a tour of the cop procedurals. He appeared in Criminal Minds, CSI, NCIS, and NCIS New Orleans. Oh, shit. Like all the CBS shows. Yeah. CBS likes the guy. <laughs> and finally, Heather McComb as Diane Nabel, another child actor still working as an adult actor. Before this movie, she appeared in Who's the Boss and Wonder Years. Afterwards, she was in Beethoven's Second, The X-Files, Party of Five, several of the CSIs, Bones, Shameless, Ray Donovan, Grey's Anatomy, and the 2022 remake of American Gigolo. Yeah. I remember her back in the day because she was like on all those sitcoms, like all the TGF. Right. Like she was always, whatever was the uh, teenage daughter on the show, right. she was that person's bitchy friend. Like they would hang okay, out. Okay. Yeah. 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 She was always, sense. yeah. She always had like a hat on and she was like always like, yeah, we should go to the mall. <laughs> that was all I remember as like back then. But yeah, I've seen her in like bunches of tons of stuff. And in this movie, her acting isn't great, but apparently it got much better for her to continue to still be working and working yeah. regularly. And because we can't talk about a movie without at least two Star Trek connections, be sure to. Watch for a cameo appearance by Brent Spiner as a TV repairman. <laughs> Movie opens with Murray Seidenbaum. He is preparing a huge bowl of popcorn as he and his wife watch TV. Now, Murray is the guy who is resigned to whatever uh, his wife wants. She complains that it has 
not enough butter, so he goes back to put more butter on it. Outside, a dark figure in a long black raincoat approaches the house. It, all of our movies have guys in long raincoats, Jesse. I like long raincoats, man. That's okay. classic. It never goes out of style. <laughs> he approaches the house, rings the bell. Murray answers the door with the giant bowl of popcorn in hand, and the man at the door helps himself to Murray's popcorn and says that Murray has been selected to receive a most irresistible offer. Apparently, some time has passed, and Mrs. Seidenbaum gets up and walks out the sliding door into the backyard. Now, Murray answered the front door. She walks out the back door, and there's Murray's bowl of popcorn dumped on the ground. Yeah. She calls to Murray just as lights start flashing, the wind blows, and Mrs. Seidenbaum screams. And we get um, TV static. Yeah. Uh, that scene of her screaming and the, uh -huh. it shows the popcorn and then like the wind blows and the lights flicker and it shows her screaming. That's appeared in like uh, a actually a bunch of clips of this movie has appeared in other movies. Okay. It's weird. That one's in true romance. That's very sticks out because like Brad Pitt is like smoking weed out of like one of those little honey bears, you know? <laughs> and you know, that's a very, like, strange and, like, you know, violent movie for a romance. Right. So, yeah, there's that part, and he's like, you know, the, the mafia guys leave, and he's like, don't condescend me, man, you know, after they've left, you know, because he's like a gutless stoner on a couch. And right. it cuts to the TV, and it shows her screaming, and then it cuts to the next scene in the movie. But, yeah, this, for some reason, editors or, like, people that make movies love this movie, and they'll just splice scenes of this movies onto the TVs of other movies. Okay. All it's right. fucking weird. Then we get opening credits in big, bold 3D letters against a backdrop of a smiling TV set, very similar to what would be adopted in 1999 as the TiVo logo. Yeah. The, well, not the same font, but it's similar. It, it invokes that kind of like thing. Yeah. It's, it, that's what it reminded me of. It's definitely not the same thing, but it certainly reminded me of that. Yeah. I like it. I it's like it six years like, before TiVo ever existed, but you know they do the little that, double tail thing with the uh, the power cord coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this is where the folks who made the TiVo logo got their idea. Who knows? Probably in retrospect, man, those guys are probably yeah backed by Satan or something. I don't know. <laughs> TiVo. The theme music, as I said, is very reminiscent of John Williams. John Williams, of course, composed scores for the Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises, as well as E.T., Jaws, Jurassic Park, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Superman, and the Home Alone films, as well as being the longtime conductor of the Boston Pops. He's won 26 Grammys, three Emmys, four Golden Globes, and he did not write this score. But it sounds like someone like Tate. 15 seconds of every song that he wrote and played it as one song. Yeah. It went all over the place. Voiceover narration by a kid named Daryl Nabel. He's a normal kid with a normal life until that night. Uh, cut to a hair club for men commercial. And those are all, those used to be as common as Bart Durham commercials are now. Yeah. His dad lives his entire life glued to the television. He says the average American watches seven and a half hours of TV per day. And if that's true, there are two guys who never watch TV. And Daryl's dad took their time also. Someone's got to do it, man. Yeah. 
Roy is flipping through channels until he lands on the 1940 production of Errol Flynn in The Seahawk. And there's going to be a sword fight. And Roy loves a sword fight. He gets up from his chair and he takes down a sword from the wall. And he's going to sword fight along with Errol Flynn in the movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> his wife wanders in to watch him from the doorway. She is ready for bed. But Roy says he'll be up later. So she leaves stating that she's thinking about renting out his side of the bed. <laughs> Gonna guess That's there are problems team. in this marriage. <laughs> he don't know. Now, the sword fight intensifies until Roy breaks a lamp, and then he quickly puts the sword back up on the wall. <laughs> Next morning, Daryl explains that he would rather make money with TV. He has a small TV transmitter set up in, in his room. That allows him to broadcast to the neighborhood TVs. I love that shit. Because, like, that, that used to fascinate me when I was a kid. Like, when they, they would hijack satellite signals. Yeah, yeah. All those urban legends. And there was, like, one, I think Bloom County even did, like, a, a comic strip when that happened. And they had yep. a diagram to show you how to hack into the thing. Like, all the stuff you need to do it. And they're like, under no circumstances, do this. You know? <laughs> I just, I used to, like, that shit used to fascinate me. Yeah, I just wanted to run a pirate radio station. Hell yeah. I'm not, I mean, yeah, I'm not right. A little, just a little five or ten watt thing that would cover the neighborhood, and that's it. Let, like, let me talk into a can, like, uh, what's his name from uh, the Midnight Special? Yeah. I just want to be that guy. Daryl is broadcasting to the neighborhood that he has a secret videotape of his sister, French Kiss, and her boyfriend. That he'll sell for $3. <laughs> and as he gives the uh, purchase info, the transmitter starts blowing fuses and he's out of business. Roy is leaving for work when a neighbor comes up with his big-ass dog mm. to complain that Daryl uh, is messing up the TV. Roy counters that the neighbor is messing up his flower garden and the dog is pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daryl then goes on to explain in the voiceover that his mom is an ad executive with a vitamin company while his dad has a, a, a shitty job selling plumbing supplies. <laughs> Whatever, man. She works for like a multi-level marketing vitamin thing. I don't want to hear shit. But yeah, no. Yeah, but she's, she's making good money and he's not. And she likes his, her job and he hates his. I'm pretty sure she's not. She don't like it. But, but we, we'll go with that for narrative. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, she's definitely, you know, it's the early 90s and shit. So, like, you know, that's still, I guess it still does today. But, like, yeah, like, oh, no, your wife earns more than you. You're you're the one that wears the dress, buddy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to fuck with them and shit. You know what, guys? If your wife makes more money with than you and she's okay with that, don't complain. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently their marriage is not a happy one anymore. And we get a shot of Roy meeting with a client. And, of course, this is John Ritter, so he has to be clumsy. <laughs> he gets to the office and finds out the office has moved. So he heads back down the stairs with his case of samples. And, of course, it's John Ritter, so he has to fall down the stairs. That's really fucked up because it was like, <laughs> yeah, not only are you carrying like all this shit that goes to a toilet, like a plunger and shit, but like. You get all, you go up the thing, you find out the elevator's not working, so you have to go up all these thorough stairs, right? Yeah. You get all there, and then you see that um, 
oh no we moved to the east side of the town you know, this office is on the west side you're gonna have to go all the way back downstairs get in a taxi and go to our other new office space yep and then as he's talking to the client he knocks the client's coffee over as he's trying to get his case out of the car uh, he he's jerking on it pretty hard. It flies out of his hand into the middle of the street where it's immediately run over by a dump truck. That's just the way that has to work. And then he returns home to watch TV when the Doberman from earlier starts chasing him in circles around the car. So Roy is home watching the Maltese Falcon and Roy knows this movie line by line and he's reciting the lines as the movie plays out on the screen. I've done that. I've been there. <laughs> There's this cool website called um, the Movie Quote Database. So for for movie clips like this, you can just where you just hear a, a line or two, you can type that line into their search box, and they'll not only tell you which movie it was, but the time signature where that line was delivered. Oh yeah, I think I'm yeah. Back in the day, I used to go to that website like religiously. Yeah. The kids are leaving to spend the night with their friends, and their mother is eating dry breakfast cereal straight out of the box. That's a pro move. Daryl wants <laughs> to talk to his mom about his friend Billy. Seems Billy's parents were on the verge of splitting up when they decided to go away together and sit in a hot tub a lot, and now everything's better when they, when they came back. I wish life was like that. <laughs> <laughs> we all think it's going to, but yeah. Yeah, it turns out Daryl and his sister just decided to get out of the house for the night to give their parents some alone time. I know I used to be a kid, and I don't think I was ever that thoughtful. It was always just me wanting to get out of the house. It was never me wanting to get out of the house for somebody. Oh, they, like, rarely remembered I existed. <laughs> I was so quiet and shit that like uh yeah they would call around to my friend's house and it's like hey is Jesse there is Jesse there and they're like they get like nervous and upset and like you know and the whole time I, you're like, in your bedroom playing your Sega yeah I'm in my bedroom like playing Super Nintendo like Final <laughs> Fantasy games like just quiet as a church mouse it's like <laughs> trying to level up for that one magical item and then if I did get that magical item you know like out of you know so many out of whatever chance percentage i would scream and they're like oh there he is <laughs> well roy's watching basketball helen wants uh to go away with roy and roy really wants to watch tv um helen's concerned about roy but he is he's he's doing everything he can to see the basketball game around her and then he decides to he's gonna open up to helen he's gonna tell her the truth and the truth is we're in double overtime. This game's really important. All right. In his defense, and I hate sports, all right? <laughs> and I, I really do hate sports, but the Supersonics were hot that year, right? And if you pay attention, <laughs> there is a, a piece of paper that the TV guy ripped out, circled in big red with a bunch of arrows pointed at it. It's like NBA playoff games. Do not disturb your husband. <laughs> I know the marriage is breaking up, but she could have like you know waited till like after that game or like... wait until after the playoffs to divorce him. Don't try to divorce me now. <laughs> did it before that? Anyway, you know, I mean, he's going to be in a bar, you know, after the divorce. There you like, go. Playoffs at the bar. I don't know. Well, Helen gets angry, picks up one of Roy's trophies off the mantle, and just very casually tosses it through the TV screen. 
that shit in was double similar. overtime. Yeah. The way she kind of like slung it and the way it went into the TV and then yeah. his reaction, the way he, he, he uh, the way he like kind of like crawls up his recliner. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It looks like she just ripped his metaphorical slong off and threw it into, yes. into the TV. Absolutely. Was, and this was before streaming, before internet. Um, the, the internet access had only been available for a year at this point. You weren't going to watch a sports game on the online was not possible. TiVo didn't exist for another six years after this. So you couldn't just rewind and see what you just missed. Uh, if you weren't there to watch it at the time it was on, it was fucking gone. Or like, you know, your VCR or something, but even then it's like, that's not. Yeah. But also, yeah, those are like old-ass cathode ray TVs and shit, you know? Right. Well, Roy has placed <laughs> a smaller TV that works on top of the broken TV, just we like the that. Jeff Foxworthy joke. What's the joke? Oh, if you have a working TV on top of your broken TV, you might be a redneck. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just as bad as you thought it would be. <laughs> I'm not proud. <laughs> but, I mean, we've done it. Yeah, no, everybody, yeah. everybody's it's done it. Back in the day, man. And when I was a kid, we had a big floor model console TV that something had gone out on it, and so it wasn't working, and we had a little bitty black and white TV sitting on top of it so that we could watch I Love Lucy. Oh shit! I remember when we first got like our that when we moved up from a floor model TV to like yeah. a Magnavox that wasn't a floor model, you know, and didn't weigh like you know two hundred pounds. Yeah, my mom just put like a doily over the the old TV. <laughs> just a couple of like you know figurines around it and the base of you know and just put the new TV up there. You know, like I didn't know. It stops being a TV, starts being a table. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I had one of those big wood cabinet uh, console TVs. It was awesome. It had a little four-button remote. Oh, the floor one? Yeah. like Two a buttons for the channel, one. two buttons yeah. for the volume, and one to turn it off and on. And there is a news report on TV that says there are no clues in the disappearance of the Sidon bombs. And outside, the dark-cloaked man from the Sidon bombs house arrives at the Nabel house and rings the bell. Roy goes to the door where he's told he's been selected for a most irresistible offer. I think we've seen this show already. Yeah, it's a repeat. <laughs> he shows Roy a special remote control. He says his name is Spike, and he's offering Roy a unique television viewing experience. 666 channels of unlimited entertainment on a 44-inch TV. That was a big deal in 1993 when a 27-inch TV weighed 183 pounds. Yeah, the only people I know that had like a 44-inch TV also owned a hot tub and were like probably... Right. And jet skis. Someone. Yeah, jet skis. <laughs> he just has to sign away his soul, figuratively speaking, of course. <laughs> no, seriously, sign it. <laughs> yeah. Roy is reluctant, and as Spike leaves, he mentions the uh, free trial, and that's all Roy needs to hear. <laughs> Man. Cut to Spike and Roy in the backyard where his new satellite dish is being installed by Commander Data. 
<laughs> is that really him? Yes. <laughs> That's funny as shit, especially given what happens later on That's, in the movie. But That's I'm like gonna... season three of, of, of Star Trek The Next Generation, too. Yeah. So it's like the heyday. I don't know. That guy usually, or before Data happened, that was like his bread and butter. He was just like, pop up out of nowhere, be a random weirdo on Night Court and disappear. Yeah. The dish is adjusted to fine-tune reception with ominous storm clouds and flashing lightning. Oh, it's just kind of cool. I mean, you move your dish around and the lightning flashes. Uh, Spike walks to his car and says he'll be in touch. Then he drives off just as Helen arrives home. And we get a shot of Spike laughing maniacally as he drives off into a glowing red hole that opens up in the road at a dead end and then closes up behind him like it was never there. Yeah, that part was awesome. It was pretty cool. I love that effect. In the house, Helen sees the new TV and she is pissed. Roy explains that it was a free trial and he turns it on to find infernal promos like Three Men and Rosemary's Baby. Love it. And and that's it. Helen has had enough. She's packing her stuff and leaving. Meanwhile, on TV, Roy is watching a parody of Candid Camera called Sadistic Secret Video, where a policeman prepares to tell a woman that her husband is dead. Now, the way they, they because they play it straight. They do. And it's it's like, and that's what's another thing. When they're doing these sadistic versions of TV shows, they play it really straight in their parody. Really straight. Almost, this one is one of the ones where it's like unsettling. It's like, this is kind of fucked up. Yeah, because the cop tells the woman that her husband, is, is, what, was that your husband? Yeah, what do you mean was? Was, yeah. Did, oh. did, did he drive a, a 1978 Impala? Yeah, but why are you talking about? I'm sorry, he's dead. And she breaks down sobbing on the cop's shoulder and he whispers to her, why don't you look across the street? You see that van? You see the camera in the window? Yeah. And she is just thrilled to learn that she's on sadistic secret video. Am I on TV right now? Are you? You're Bob. I've seen you on the TV. You're the Bob guy that comes out. So she watches this shit. Yeah. Then the TV goes to static and Roy heads out to adjust the satellite dish. Helen comes out into the backyard with her suitcase. She's there to tell Roy that she that he is leaving. And he says that he has to improve the reception. So Helen decides she's going to help. She picks up a shovel and starts beating the crap out of the satellite dish. She has really had it with this guy. And I, don't, I can't blame her. I really she tells Roy that she's leaving him. She wants a man who would rather touch her than touch the remote control. And the satellite starts beeping. Light starts blinking. Lightning starts flashing. The wind picks up. Helen's suitcase gets sucked into the satellite dish in a really cool effect that we're going to see over and over and over again. Yeah. And as Helen and Roy try to run away, they also get sucked into the satellite dish and land in a game show called You Can't Win. <laughs> this is a quiz show, and they are competing to win a nifty new prize. It's called the Napper Crapper 5000. It is nice. a red leather recliner with a built-in television, telephone, mini fridge, and toilet. And just the leather upholstery alone, I'd pay money for that. Yeah. 
Also, win or lose, everybody gets a copy of Encyclopedia Satanica. Oh, nice. Encyclopedias are what we used before Google existed. (laughs) (laughs) Trivia questions are about the problems in Roy and Helen's marriage. Backstage, Crowley is showing a new intern around, and he explains the Jumbotron, a giant digital scoreboard that tracks uh, the souls that are in this nightmare TV world. I love this the way they do this. This movie, you go in blind. You don't know anything about the rules right. of anything. And they slowly give you clues. Right. And you're like, they oh, roll that's it sweet, out that's a little sweet. bit at a time. Now, in this thing, we get it because we're like in the boardroom and shit with all the guys. And like Crowley comes in with this new guy. And uh, he's like a young black guy trying to break into this like, you know, uh, executive boardroom with like all these TVs and shit. That guy right. is awesome. Yes. Uh, that is uh, Dokes from Dexter. Yes, it is. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he, he he is like our vehicle into this weird-ass fantasy world, kind of. I mean, we're watching the Navels and them, their story, their struggle, but us as, like, the viewer of the movie, he's, like, our way into, like, viewing everything behind the curtain, yeah. viewing stuff that they have to go through. And so uh, we got, we got the we got the right. Nables as our heroes. We got Crowley as our anti-hero. We got Spike as the protagonist or the antagonist, the main antagonist. And then this intern, whose name I can't remember now, is kind of just there to be a, a foil for Spike. Yeah. Spike is watching the Sidon bombs. Remember them? <laughs> oh yeah. They are on vacation in Tokyo. Uh-oh. <laughs> and Murray is trying to take a picture of Mrs. Seidenbaum when she gets squashed by Godzilla. I love that bit. And, I mean, that's, that's a risk you take when you, when you go to Tokyo. A little bit, yeah, as a tourist, you know. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to go for the extra bit and get that little insurance and stuff, you know. You know, there's there's Godzilla living in the ocean. There are giant robots that can turn into rocket ships living in the crater of Mount Fuji. Yeah, it's it's a wild place. Every once in a while, like a kid will just go full on Akira, you know? <laughs> if he starts running with his arms straight out behind him, I'm getting the hell out. Oh, yeah, no, because that means he's... <laughs> <laughs> it's about to go down at that point. It's too late. <laughs> Well, apparently, uh, if you get killed in the first 24 hours, then it's all over for you. Um, Crowley introduces Pierce. That's the new intern. Pierce is his name. He is a film school graduate. Of course. He is not. (laughs) Yeah. He is not impressed with the puerile nature of television. And Spike explains that this is not about making good television art. This is about gathering souls and amusing Satan. So you make what the boss likes, and you trick people into signing away their souls. Okay. But like, Meanwhile, if I got a Roy, really good plot, you know, if I got a really good plot with, with that stuff, no. We no, want trash no. television. We want souls. Exactly. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Yes. <laughs> That's what they want. <laughs> Meanwhile, Roy and Helen are suspended in their chairs over the pit. They have 10 the seconds to answer correctly or be dumped in the pit. Meanwhile, Crowley is explaining to Pierce that the Nables 
have to survive 24 hours. And if they do, they get sent back to their own lives. And if they are killed before that time, they are doomed to eternal torment. So the Sidon bombs, they're, they're done. Pierce asks how long folks usually last, and Spike says it doesn't matter since they all end up in hell anyway. And Crowley brings up the matter of a Peruvian who did make it out, and apparently that's a sore spot with Spike. Yeah, I want to see that story. Yeah, well, apparently Spike decides that since Crowley brought it up, time for Crowley to do some field work. Uh oh, field work. I don't like that. Yeah, Crowley starts to plead his case, but Spike has no sympathy, and he hits a button on his remote control, and Crowley gets sucked into a TV screen. Meanwhile, the Nables have won a fantasy vacation. They are going into door number one. The door opens up, and there's it's just a screen filled with TV static. Ever since they made all the TV channels digital, we don't really see that much anymore. But everybody, knows I know, it man, is. it loses the magic. I was like, I was talking to my buddy, and we was watching this like a couple of nights ago because, like, I was just like, oh, this is what we're gonna be talking about. And uh, I was like, yeah, if they redid this, it'd just be that weird blue with a line in somewhere on the screen, and it yeah, just, it wouldn't feel the same. Input not found. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> that static was so magical. I don't know. The blue, I like that weird blue because it'll make like stuff that is black light, you know, reflected. Yeah. It'll make that work. But like, at the yeah, same but time, when I was, same. when I was a kid, I loved to stare at that, t at that static on the screen until I could maybe imagine I was seeing shapes in there moving around. Oh, no. Yeah. Your mind will instantly do that. That's how those like uh, magic pictures work the stereoscopic 3D. Yeah. You know, the magic yeah. sailboat and all that crap. But yeah, if you ain't got like a, a stale image in there, you're just going to like, yeah, you can some crazy stuff looking in that snow, Mike. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you get older and you discover recreational intoxicants, you see a lot more stuff in that static. Oh, yeah. No, you see the entire <laughs> fucking novel of Naked Lunch in that static. <laughs> we got to watch that sometime. Oh, man, it's it's crazy. Yes, it is. I used to make people watch that movie and until like, you know, you know, I don't know. They just they just stopped hanging out with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Nables head through door number one and they end up in Madison Square Garden. Oh, hell yeah. I already know. They, I already know what's going down. This is the shit. They are being escorted to the ring where the ring announcer, Captain Lou Albano, is announcing the next match. Hell yeah. Captain Lou, a.k.a. Mario, a.k.a. the dad you never knew. <laughs> that guy with rubber bands stapled to his face. Yeah, Cindy uh, uh, Lauper's <laughs> dad from the Goonies. Yep. They are going to face off against the Gorgons. The oh, Gorgons God. are portrayed by professional wrestler George Gray, better known as One Man Gang, and stunt woman Faith Minton. She appeared in Spawn, Batman and Robin, Ski Patrol, Star Trek Next Generation, Alien Nation, and Night Court. Yeah. Uh, what sucks about her uh, things is she's usually cast, and this is the character's name, is Large Prostitute. Yeah. Well, uh, she also, anytime they need a, a large woman wrestler, she's the one they go to. That, yeah, or Bouncer. <laughs> Lady Bouncer. Yeah. I saw a lot of lady bouncers in there. But, uh, yeah, the one-man gang, man, I remember him growing up when I was a kid. Yeah, because, me too. Uh, they gave him that, they jabbed at uh, 
Dusty Rhodes because he was called the Dusty Rhodes and American Dream, right? Right. So they made him Akeem, the African Dream. And okay. he just gave him like a dashiki and like a boombox. It was totally uh, tasteless and crap. Oh my god! And but I remember that. But he it got over somehow. I guess it was because the '80s and his his ring guy, Slick Rick. That guy really knew how to work the crowd and shit. Yeah, I mean there was there was a time when. The big guys were perfect heels in professional wrestling. There was One Man Gang and uh, Crusher Jerry Blackwell, and King Kong Bundy, and all of them. Oh, man, King Kong Bundy's not a man. He looked like Shmoo. Shmoo? <laughs> I don't know. It's weird seeing him uh, with hair and uh, eyebrows. Because, like, when yeah. I see, I, like, I imagine he's just bald headed, no eyebrows. Yeah. You know, the, the, the singlet, you know, and he's just, ah, and he's like going to slap you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I've seen him a younger picture of him not too long ago. He's like hair and yeah. eyebrows, and he he just looks like an accountant. Oh man, that's weird. Well, this is a battle to the death, and um, Helen let slip that you know she recently got a promotion, so the, she this is not where she needs to be. And wait, and wait, so turns, you got a promotion? Yeah, she didn't tell Roy about the promotion because Roy is threatened by her success. <laughs> And the way this keeps coming up over and over again, it kind of sounds like Helen really needs Roy to be threatened by her success and is kind of upset by the idea that maybe he isn't. A little bit, yeah. It does seem like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, is she not, she doesn't get off on the idea, but it, it makes her at least like feel better about herself that she's yeah, doing better exactly. than Exactly. Exactly. Well, Roy's not too worried about this. Roy is convinced that raw wrestling is all fake, and that's when he gets <laughs> punched in the kidney, and uh, <laughs> he gets splattered pretty good. Uh, One-man oh, yeah. gang does his signature splash. That's when the female Gorgon comes in, and she knocks Roy out of the ring. Helen comes in, ducks a punch, causing the female Gorgon to take the male Gorgon out. Nice. Helen then takes a beating until the female Gorgon rips out some of her hair. And that's oh, all no, it takes didn't. to. Oh, yes, she did. Oh, no, you did. Oh, that's it. I don't care if I'm in hell or not. I'm going to knock this bitch out. That's exactly what happens, too. Helen reaches out uh, where the announcer's table is and grabs a mic stand and uses <laughs> that to knock out both of the Gorgons. And she hits hard with that thing. They filmed that. They framed it right. I mean, that that feels like it's got way to. I, I know what they did. You know, I know how they filmed it. I've been watching yeah. these damn movies for so long. But the way they I mean, they that mic it. stand is really well painted PVC. It's light enough that she can pick it up one handed and swing it around no problem. Yeah. But they filmed the angles and the stunt people sold it perfectly. And it looks great. It is great. Roy comes to in the corner of the ring, and they are announced the winners. They argue again over whether or not her success threatens him, and they get sucked into another channel. Nice. Daryl returns home later the next day, and he sees the new satellite dish in the yard. In the house, he sees the new TV, and when his sister Diane returns home, they turn on the TV and see a promo for autopsies of the rich and famous. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when they first started doing that on cable TV, when they just started showing, like, the surgery channel or whatever. Oh, yeah, A&E used to show surgeries all the time. It was like, yeah, it was like, 
oh, watch us cut this dude's skull open while he's awake. I've watched watch this lady give birth to like nine people. I've watched one where this little kid was born missing some fingers and some toes. And they decided that it would be easier for this kid if she could at least walk normally. And then they could deal with her not having fingers later on. So they took her fingers off of her hand and put them on her feet to become toes so that at least she could walk normally. Wow. It's crazy stuff. I used to watch like a bunch of hardcore horror shit, you know, like just trauma movies, like just gory ass stupid shit, right? Yeah. Faces of death, all that. I could watch that no problem. Yeah, I could could eat spaghetti and stuff. I could barely be in the same room when those like fucking uh, surgery shit, like I just hear the shit, you know, and they hear that vacuuming sound and the squash. The and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> safe space, safe space. You know, I just, you just like, ruined I tomato it. soup for me for the next 18 years. Oh god, I'm sorry, man. It's not that good. <laughs> There's also a commercial for Max Hell audio cassettes. Oh my god. That. That, it's like so that, a frame by frame remake of the old Maxell commercial until have, the guy's you, head explodes. Well, I don't know. I, I remember things differently. That that was always a commercial in my head. But also, I've seen this movie back in. So, like, <laughs> my wires are probably crossed. But once you see that part, that scene, yeah, then you know that this is nothing but just like mainlining nostalgia. That's all it the, is. And I love yeah, it. The other stuff, I love it. The other stuff. Up leading up to this, that's clever. That's funny. You see that Max L commercial, and you're like, "All right, I get it. I get the movie." Yes, and Northern Overexposure <laughs> about a surgeon from New York who moves to Alaska and complains about everything. We can, and that's really, really the plot of <laughs> Northern Exposure show. too. Exposure, yeah, no, that was a great show. <laughs> it was a great show. I loved that show. And that's where Helen and Roy find themselves now, running through a snowstorm toward a shelter. There is a person outside the shelter digging in the ice, and when they get up to him, they discover it's Crowley. He says he's trying to find a conduit to the next channel, and he clears away the snow, and underneath the snow and ice, there's TV static. It's so clever, though. We'll just put a TV in the snow. Cover it yeah. with snow, and then boom, magic portal. That is so there clever, man. It is. You don't even need that much to do that bit. No, no. You need fake snow. You need a TV. Put it in a box. Let them sit on their knees on top of the box. Done. Good. Done. Perfect. But that's the conduit to the next channel. And as they look around, there are wolves. Oh. Um, before, before Crowley can get this opened up, the wolves attack. So the three of them run for it into the shack. Roy trips and a wolf pulls off his shoe before Helen pulls Roy to safety. (laughs) Back at home, Diane and Daryl find the note for their mother left for them. It says that she had to leave for a while and will call tomorrow to explain. They don't know the contact, but um, Diane is excited that this means she gets the house to herself. And she immediately sends Daryl outside and calls her friend Sherry. There's going to be a girl party. Girl party. Outside, Daryl approaches the satellite dish with his bike and spots his mom's watch on the ground nearby. It stopped at about 1030. 
because you know you know if a watch falls off your arm it immediately stops working yeah i mean i'll I'll give them a little bit of leeway oh maybe like the electromagnetism or whatever the fuck that that thing that satellite works on maybe like right stop the watch but at the same time it's like yeah it's weird yeah (laughs) the neighbor's dog starts barking and the satellite dish starts beeping and moving toward daryl he hops on his bike and tries to ride away, but is, is getting sucked in. His hat gets sucked in, and as the bike actually starts to leave the ground, Daryl grabs a post on, uh, at the porch and holds on, and his bike gets sucked into the satellite dish, which again switches itself off. Back in TV hell in the shack, Crowley explains that Spike is Mephistopheles of the cathode ray. And they are in a TV world battling for their very souls. They awesome. just have to, Yeah. They just have to stay alive another 15 hours. And it's so cold, one of Crowley's fingers snaps off. <laughs> Worst fake hand ever right there. Yeah. But his line delivery is great. Yeah. Roy says he didn't realize this was part of the deal, and heaven, Helen is pissed again. Meanwhile, at home, Diane's friends have arrived. Daryl is watching TV. It's a bunch of men in prison talking about paint swatches <laughs> and whether or not this color goes with the bars. It's a promo for 30-something to life. Yeah, uh, people below a certain age are not going to get that joke, but that shit not, is fucking genius. And people, people our age and older think that's exactly what fucking 30-something. <laughs> but it's... You're also in prison. <laughs> have you seen that book? Or have you seen that book? Have you seen that show? You know, it's about, yeah, like a bunch of 30 some you know, people going like, oh, man, I fucking hate life. Oh, and yeah. Shit. And there was, it was one it was, episode like a, that was an entire lesson about seizing life based on the home shopping network. Yeah. And I was like in my like late teens, early teens watching that. Yeah. I didn't get it at all, but like for some reason I watched it and like now retrospect all that shit's hilarious. Yeah. There's also a commercial for the silencer of the lambs. Oh man. <laughs> that needs to be a real of... fucking Yes, yeah, it does. And it's a it's a car uh filled with screaming kids. There's a man and a woman in the front seat, um, just not enjoying their trip at all. The kids in the back seat with the dogs singing at the top of their lungs. Until the silencer of the lambs appears, and it's that Hannibal Lecter mask just just strapped onto the kid's face, and they're they're quiet. <laughs> silencer of the pets sold separate. <laughs> and then finally, meet the Mansons with Tommy Spoda as Chuck. I would totally watch that show. And that's when Daryl sees his BMX bike in the show, being <laughs> red, ridden by little Chucky Manson. Yeah, now, it's like uh, it's like a Ozzy, meet Ozzy and Harriet, or Leave it to right. Beaver, but starring Charles Manson. So it takes place in like the 50s. Yeah. But he, he's got like a, a 80s or 90s bike with mag wheels on it. And I didn't get this reference until I looked it up, but Thomas Spoda was a corrupt district attorney in Suffolk County, New York, who was disbarred and sent to prison for obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and conspiracy related to his role in interfering with an FBI investigation of a pattern of police brutality and witness coercion. Yeah, also that guy, the director, yeah, uh, he put someone in the movie named Spoda 
in all his movies. Okay. So he's, yeah. Well, Daryl tells Diane that he saw his bike on TV and about finding his mom's watch. He thinks they're actually in the TV, and Diane tells him to shut the hell up and go away. Typical sister bullshit. (laughs) Back in the shack, Crowley is preparing to leave for a warmer channel. He looks out the door and says the coast is clear. The wolves appear to be gone. And the moment he steps outside, a wolf jumps off the roof on top of him and and starts tearing him up. That shit is hilarious. Catch that shit. (laughs) Even if you know what's coming, just the mere sight of a wolf jumping off a thing onto a guy like, ha ha, I got you, sucker. You thought, (laughs) you know, and like, that is great. Roy and Helen go back inside, but Roy knocks over a lantern, setting the shack on fire. Way to go, Roy. Yeah, fucking typical Roy bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, father, kids. Thanks, dad. (laughs) Yeah, dickhead. (laughs) But Roy gets an idea, and they start pushing the shack, and it slides across the snow until it's over the conduit to another channel. Great. Hell yeah. Digging that hole open to, to, to open it up wider so they can get through. Uh, Helen jumps through. Roy follows. But, of course, he gets stuck. That's as, great. Yeah. He takes a, a hatchet and starts hacking away at the ice to try to make the hole bigger. And finally, he drops through and ends up as a cartoon mouse. Holy fucking shit, dude. In the best part of the movie. Uh, this is... It's done in a, it's like Tom and Jerry action in a Tiny Toon Adventures style. Yeah, totally. Well, that's what was out. Uh, it was. Well, with, yeah, that's uh, what that's name? what that's what Chuck Jones was working on at that time was Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah, they are in a cartoon kitchen. Roy thinks they're safe because nobody ever dies in cartoons. He's never ever seen Bugs Bunny or Roadrunner and Coyote or anime. <laughs> <laughs> people dying left and right in that motherfucker <laughs> but the family who live there they just bought a mouse catching robot cat fucking okay, it's the terminator it is and we find out we get a good look at it when roy is lured out of hiding by the smell of donuts yeah man they have a bunch of dunkin donut placement in this fucking movie and they a all lot Give it to, like, oh, well, Roy's a fat ass that watches TV and eats donuts constantly. Well, you got to pay for the movie somehow. Yeah, I know. Product placement is definitely one way to go. Back at the house, Daryl is watching this very cartoon on TV on channel 253. And Daryl watches as Helen and Roy fight. Helen says she's leaving him and she tries to talk herself out of being a mouse, reciting facts about her life and confirming to Daryl that this cartoon is actually his mom and dad. Yeah, I love it. Uh, oh, I hate to go back just a bit, but just really solo shit. Like when they, they discover they're in cartoon, and Roy's like, "Oh, sweet, no one dies in cartoons." And then the wife, her attitude is, "Roy, I'm an animated lady mouse in high heel running stinkers." You know? Yeah. Shit is not getting better. That's, I don't know, man. It looks sweet. There's a mountain of mushroom. <laughs> there's a mountain of fucking donuts up there on the table. Yeah, and you got high-heeled running shoes, so you're not going to find yeah. those at Macy's. Yeah, hell no. Don't sell that <laughs> shit. Also, the part where, like, yeah, and we got, uh, she like, she's going back. It's like, you know, I'm I'm not a mouse. You know, I'm, I'm a woman. I got a job. I got two beautiful children. And she pulls out of her wallet, and it shows 
animated <laughs> mouth versions is... of their kids, and yes, it looks it's... like them. Yeah. Oh my god, that's cherry on the cake. It it was genius. Well, that's when the killer robot cat arrives, and we have a RoboCop moment as a loudspeaker comes out of the cat's mouth and warns them that they are trespassing in a human habitation, and the penalty for that crime is death. <laughs> and the cat starts shooting at Roy with a revolver uh, on the end of its tail. I, I, I don't know if it's on the end of its tail. It just, a ro- revolver comes out of its body on a, on something. It's on a hinge, kind of. Yeah. And it does like a cool little spin thing, like, ooh, I'm Robocop. And then immediately and then... starts to go full auto, even though it's a revolver. <laughs> Yeah, it's firing like a minigun. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, Roy is going to actually rescue Helen at this point because when the cat came crashing through the door into the kitchen, it just kind of smashed Helen into the wall. And Roy does a Tasmanian devil spin, gathers up Helen, escapes to the countertop, landing in a toaster. The cat punches the button down on the toaster. They get launched out of the toaster, red hot, into the cat's mouth, overheats the cat's head, and he spits them out. They land in an American Gothic painting, hiding behind the couple in the painting. The cat aims a flamethrower at the painting. The American Gothic couple do the, the Tom and Jerry mouth open, tongues out, eyes bulge way out, and they split. And the flamethrower burns down the house that was behind them in the paint. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the house, Di- Daryl brings Diane to see the cartoon, and she doesn't believe him and leaves again. Meanwhile, Roy's got an idea. He wants to try something he saw on MacGyver. <laughs> there we go, MacGyver and shit. <laughs> Roy and Helen are in the bathroom when the mouse, when the cat comes in and blows a hole in the bathtub. Bathtub's still full of water, though. It didn't blow that much of a hole in. Roy's idea was to use a lighter and a can of hairspray and make their own flamethrower and burn the robot cat's ass. It works. (laughs) The cat jumps in the bathtub, in the water, and then Roy and Helen dump a hairdryer into the bathtub and electrocute the robot cat. It's okay, though, because they stop, and they're like, do not try this at home. That's true. And then they throw it. Yeah, I love that thing that he just he just takes two like uh, Q-tips. Yeah, and like the cotton ball and passes in the mouse things, and that's what sets the radar off on the cat. Is like, oh, they're in the bathroom. Yep, that's great. <laughs> the cat is dead on the floor, or so it would seem, just for a minute though, and then it activates the second of its nine lives. Activate live number two. Yep. Helen and Roy are hanging out in a dollhouse, and they're actually having a moment, you know, and Roy is is trying to apologize for being uh, an unattentive husband. That's when the cat arrives with its arsenal of giant cannons and rocket launchers pointed at the garage door of this dollhouse. And when the door opens, out come Helen and Roy, and they speed away in a little pink convertible sports car. Oh, man, this is just like Twisted Metal Black (laughs) on the PlayStation 3. (laughs) Helen spots a a mouse hole in the baseboard, and there's TV static in there. This is another conduit to the next channel. Sweet. Yeah, and Roy kind of swerves the car, 
Helen flies out of the car through the mouse hole, but the cat seals the mouse hole up with a steel door and rivets it shut before Roy can get there. Damn. So Roy does what any animated character would do. He writes a letter and puts it in the mail. And a few seconds later, there's a knock at the door. Cat asks who it is, and the person says it's a telegram. The cat opens the door, and it's a giant robot bulldog to take out the cat. Roy tries to escape, but the door is sealed, and he can't get through. Eventually, he gives up, and that's when the door just falls over on top of him. And then Roy escapes. Back at the house on channel 642, there's a promo for different strokes. Not the kind you're thinking about. This is two old guys who are having two very different strokes. And as they fall unconscious, the paramedics come in to rescue. On channel 666 is a promo for My Three Sons of Bitches. And Daryl is flipping channels looking for his dad. It looks like he may have landed on the set of Dwayne's Underworld on Saturday Night Dead. This is cool. They almost got Wayne and Garth to be Dwayne. And, uh, but they were too busy filming the first movie. Okay. So they couldn't get them to, to do that. So they had to get to uh, wannabes. But in Wayne's World 2, uh, the bad guy in that one, he, he calls Wayne Dwayne. Okay. As like a, a reference uh, thing. In nice. It. But yeah, it, it almost... Yeah, excrement. Nice. <laughs> but I love this bit. Because, uh, like, yeah, I was a big Wayne, Wayne's World fan and shit. Yeah, and, like, I was, I was pumped for the movie, which I knew was coming out and shit, you know. Right. And so, like, to see this little shit come in, it's like, oh, hell yeah, they get me. Roy is tied to a chair wearing a shirt that says Sphincter Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and there are really, really bad jokes. I mean, worse than Wayne's World. Yeah, they're they're pretty terrible, and it's all about the attitude of like young punks given to some guy in his like thirties and forties. So right, tough time. And they claim to have nude centerfold photos of Roy's wife and daughter. That's fucked up. That is the wife bit was funny where they bring out like the Playboy and shit, but then they yeah. they bring in the daughter joke. I was like, that's that that's, that's way too fucking over the line. Yeah, the I worship satin thing. That kills every time. Sat. That was yeah. great, yeah. That used to be one of my favorite bits ever. I, I used to try to pull it <laughs> off for people, and they just did not get it. And I was like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not friends with you anymore. Well, Roy gets pissed off, and they decide to do an extreme close-up, mm. bashing Roy in the head with the camera. And when he gets even angrier, it's time for the red-hot poker in the eye cam. But at the last second, Roy kicks the camera, causing it to go off to the side. It burns through the ropes that he's tied down with, and he escapes through the portal at the top of the stairs. Which is great, because if you know, like, you know, Wayne's World lore, they film it in the basement of his mom's house and shit. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's of course, you would go upstairs to get the fuck out of here. Of course. Roy ends up in a black and white private eye film where his thoughts are heard out loud. Hell Yeah. Fucking he actually, he actually thinks, is this thing on? <laughs> he tries to strap on a a, a, a holster with a, a, with a pistol, but he drops the gun and nearly shoots himself. That's when his secretary buzzes him on the intercom to let him know that he's dropped his gun again. Yeah, that shit, he, he does like, the, he's trying to do like the cowboy shit, you know, <laughs> around the finger and he fucks it up and then he's like, 
well, I'll just put this away. And then that's when he like drops it. Yeah. <laughs> not, you shot the wall again, sir. You know, it's like, <laughs> fuck you, lady. Meanwhile, Helen is in a hotel room. She hears a knock at the door. She thinks it's Roy and two big goons enter. In the control room, Spike is told that they have claimed everybody except two people. Helen and Roy just need to survive another six and a half hours and they get to go free. Meanwhile, the intern, Pierce, is scheming to take Spike's job. Back at the house, Daryl is watching TV on Channel 364. It's Infernal Aerobics with the Exercisist. Great. That's great shit. Feel that, feel that burn, Kathy. <laughs> All right, now everybody, turn your head around on a swivel and sit. There's also a commercial on Channel 461 for a kid's beer called Yogi Beer. None of the alcohol and all of the effects. Oh, God. Just scummy dude, scummy kid, and <laughs> the poor lady. and Everybody's wearing white bread at Peter's. And, yep. Yeah. Oh, God. And on Channel 173, there's Roy. In the backyard, Diane and her friends are practicing their dance moves as the satellite dish uh, fires up again. Daryl hears it beeping and sees it moving towards him, and he, he knows he's got to do something. So he turns the hose on him to get him to leave the yard. And finally, he convinces Diane that those are really their parents on TV. Roy sees a newspaper article that says that Diane did, was last seen at Club Seidenbaum. Roy is on the case, and the kids are trying to figure out how to get their parents back. Daryl's got an idea, and he goes into his sister's room and starts taking apart her stereo for science. For science, lady. I think he just wanted off, to break man, stereo, honestly. I mean, yeah, he could have probably, yeah, probably got that those parts out of something else in the house. But yeah, no, he went straight there. I mean, I'm pretty sure this, this house looks like they got one of them shower stereos or some shit. This argument has been going on since this boy was three. <laughs> break this stereo. <laughs> Daryl sends Diane downstairs to watch TV so they don't lose track of which channel their parents are on. Helen is having dinner with Murray Seidenbaum at his club. Uh, apparently, after his wife got stomped by Godzilla, he made a name for himself as a nightclub owner. He is living the high life because he brought his remote control with him. So anytime things get too hot, he just switches to another channel for a while. Hell yeah. Roy shows up, knocking out the security guards as he goes. So apparently Roy's a badass on this TV channel. He thinks he's a badass. It's just because it's you know, like black and white <laughs> film noir. That's what it is. Any Anybody in a fucking trench coat can be a badass in one of these movies. He finds Helen when a guy shows up to take out Seidenbaum by shooting up the place, and they all run for cover. Then everybody in the club stands up and returns fire, but nobody shoots anybody except somebody shot Murray. Also, every third gun is a Thompson machine gun. There's some yes. lady that just pulls a Thompson machine gun out of her salad and starts shooting at this motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, you got to be prepared. <laughs> it's just so over the top, man. It's just crazy. <laughs> well, Roy is gonna gonna try to try to protect um, Helen, and he digs down into his underwear and pulls the oh, gun out. Oh my that he had god! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's halfway down his leg at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks like he's giving himself prostate exam, looking for this damn gun. When, like, in every other movie, it's just, like, in the belt line or some shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, this guy has to like go in, dig, search. Oh, that's the gun, and then bring it the fuck out. <laughs> and then I'm he sorry, just puts sir. his arm up on the table. He's not looking. He just puts his arm up on the table and fires. Blindly, and that one yeah. shot kills the bad guy. What the fuck? <laughs> Murray got shot, but he gives his remote to Roy so that he and Helen can escape. They switch the channel and head through the portal and end up in a western. Dun, dun, dun. Diane is flipping channels trying to find them, and she's on. She's back on channel 666, which is now the home shoplifting channel. Then she lands on channel 468 and a mini-series about the French Revolution called Off With His Head about the Marquis de Nable who escaped the <laughs> French Revolution by cross-dressing. Viva la France! <laughs> this is like the best part. Wait, say, oh, say I, that we again? said that like every 15 minutes. Well, this yeah. is a great movie, so it don't matter. Well, if you every say, it, if you say it with enough conviction, they can actually see the cigarette in your hand, even though we're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure y'all hear me lighting them. <laughs> I managed to cut most of that out. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Cut to Helen and Roy. Helen telling Roy that he has boobs. He's relieved to find out that they're not his, though. <laughs> <laughs> and a mob marches through, and Roy has dropped the remote, and they immediately stomp all over it, crushing it. Nah, he just got dude. it, and it's already broken. That's good storytelling. It's like, they keep on giving them, like, the, the, the deus ex machina, and right. then they immediately take it away. Exactly. They give you the power of the portal. That's not good enough. You need now an actual, you know, channel flipper to actually switch you in an instant. Ah, right, here you go. Right, that, no, now you're stuck in France. You're cross-dressing, and we're going to get, like, stomp it. There you go. Now you're yep. stuck in France during the revolution. You're stuck in France. But maybe they're not stuck because here comes old hop-along one-legged Crowley. Oh, hell yeah, my man. <laughs> It seems that um, Crowley was able to escape as the wolves were fighting over the leg that they tore off of him. <laughs> it's okay. He's dead anyway. He's all right now. In the control room, the intern, Pierce, is bad-mouthing Spike again. Back in France, Crowley tells the Nables they've got just two hours left. If they can survive two more hours, then Spike <laughs> has to send them back home. That's the contract. They can do that. At home, Diane finds out that Roy is about to get his head cut off. They've got one hour left now, and Roy and Helen are having dinner while they hide out. Roy promises to be a better husband if they get out of this. Meanwhile, Daryl and Diane aim his new invention at the satellite dish. In France, some soldiers have shown up, and they're hitting on Helen and Roy, who is still dressed like a woman. This is great. Daryl turns his device on, but it doesn't have enough power to cause any interference with the satellite dish. He's got to come up with a way that, to get more power. The way they do that, where they got that fake little, like, whoop, 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 whoop. and then yeah. it actually has cartoon rings. I love that shit. It reminded me like some like uh, old-ass cartoon shit. Like yeah, with some Scooby-Doo looking at some Aquaman stuff. Yeah, Aquaman. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah. And, and it's very faint, so you're like, well, of course they don't have enough power. I can barely right. see it. <laughs> exactly. The owner of this restaurant tries to tell the soldiers that Roy is not a woman. That's the Marquis de Nabel. Wanted. <laughs> Soldier says, of course he's wanted. She's wanted by me. <laughs> Get out. Stop being a cockblock. <laughs> <laughs> 
he he's trying to he's trying to flirt with Roy, and Roy's trying to leave. He wants a lock of Roy's hair. That's when Roy's wig comes off in the soldier's hand, and the jig is up. I love that. It's like you know what. Just, just take the whole thing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> even his delivery is like uh, Uncle Arthur from Bewitch. He's like, yeah, <laughs> just take the whole thing. You know, it's like shit, man. <laughs> the I asked is for like, a single strand of her golden hair. She gave yeah. me the entire wig. Also, the bartender is like, I told you, I told you that bitch wasn't he that did. bitch. It's the market the navel. And, and then the guards are just like, oh, of course I knew that stupid. And then he looks back at Roy. He's like, I would have given you chocolate. This <laughs> is like, you broke my heart, you bitch. <laughs> that shit was so fucking funny, man. Well, they're that marching Helen so and Roy betrayed. off. Yeah, it was awesome. They're marching Helen and Roy off to the guillotine with just 20 minutes left. Daryl is running a power cord over to the, na- the neighbor's house, past the evil dog who is asleep. This is and, great. And in France, they're about to behead Roy. Daryl hooks up jumper cables to the neighbor's electric meter and is then confronted by Triumph the Comic Insult Dog. Yeah, no, okay. This whole movie, that dog (laughs) has been like a mean-ass Rottweiler, right? Right. All right, and they show the thing. All right, he hooks the thing. He sees the dog's asleep. Okay, we're giving. This is like going down the list of shit that you have to do with a mean dog, right? Right. Dot, dot, dot. Thing trips. When he trips, he sits up, and he, of course, he's going to go face-to-face with the dog, right? Right. And the the audio that they're playing is even queuing that up. It's a growling dog. It's a vicious dog. We're going right. to see teeth. It shows the dog, and the dog's just, like, passive as fuck, cute as hell. Looks like the he's dog's about to kiss a kid. puppet. That's a puppet? It's a puppet. It just looks like a passive dog. It looks like just a dog sitting there looking at a camera to me, and it's like, in a movie, this should be, like, teeth, gnarling, spit. So it's a Rottweiler, right? But what they yeah. showed from behind is kind of colored like a Rottweiler, but he's got Cocker Spaniel ears. It, it's totally a puppet. But it uh, also is whatever face the puppet's making is more surprise and awe. Yeah. Cute puppy. Not snarling, vicious dog about to take a piece out your ass. Like right. they should have made it with Nash teeth. Put some like KY hanging off his mouth like he's drooling and shit. Make him look mean. <laughs> Don't make the thing look cute as fuck. I'm not buying this kid's in danger. That's stupid. Yeah, it's supposed like, to be kid in danger with that. a vicious dog. It's actually Davy and Goliath. There's an actual horror movie where this guy, he's like a crazy dude, and he invites <laughs> a bunch of people to his house on Halloween, right? And one of the, he, he kills off people throughout the thing, dressed up in costumes, depending on what costume he has. That's the way yeah. he kills them, right? All right, he's, there's this one part where he's dressed up like a Vietnam soldier or something, and he's going right. to feed them to dogs. He releases the uh, hounds, and they're going to go bite him or some shit. But you're thinking Rottweiler. You're thinking Doberman or some shit. No, it's a bunch of golden retrievers. <laughs> and they just come up and love on this dude to death. And they the try to sell it as a horror ever. movie. I think, it, yeah, it's some stupid-ass 80s Halloween oh, horror movie. God. But, yeah, you're thinking, okay, they're gonna, he's going to feed these people to dogs. It's going to be vicious. It's going to be it's like some Hannibal Lecter shit. Nope. It's two of his grandmother's golden retrievers in like a fucking steel cage and he releases them and they just run up and they, they waddle on him and they love on the guy. And the guy is screaming trying to sell it like he's dying. I don't buy it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, now what are they doing? If you're going to make it 
the kid be in danger, make him be in danger. Don't put a cute dog puppet up there and try to make right. us think it is. Well, they march Roy up to the guillotine. There's four minutes left. They strap Roy down, and Daryl escapes from the dog, tosses the power line to Diane. Crowley arrives. He's going to watch the, the beheading with Diane. Spike is uh, about to make his quota when Daryl powers up his device, and the blade is being cranked up. That's when Daryl turns on the power and speaks into a microphone, and the sound comes booming out of the skies. Dad, can you hear me? Nice. And the execution stops. This is, this is this is the voice of God exactly. booming from the cloud. And everybody kneels. That's when Daryl tells the people to release the marquee. And uh, they start to untie Roy, but then the machine shorts out, and so Daryl can't say anything. And time runs out, and Roy has survived the 24 hours. The intern comes to rub it in, and Spike starts choking him. And that's when one of the folks from legal explains that there was an appeal to this contract. The contract was for one person, but he took two. What? Yeah, he was only supposed to take Roy. He took both Roy and Helen. So I only lost one. Yeah. I can get another. So what he's going to do, he's got a plan now. Spike is going to go ahead and send Roy home. But he's keeping Helen. She's a trespasser. She's on her own. There's no contract for her. Roy disappears and is shot out of the satellite dish into the backyard, and Spike explains to Helen that as a trespasser, he has no obligation to release her. Instead, he's going to wait for Roy to come back to rescue her. Also, I love that shot. Like, he just, he, Roy disappears, and then it's like just Helen and, and Spike, and Spike appears, and he's like grand ghouled out. It's like almost like Q, you know? Yeah. Like, he has this super big, like, cape. Yep. And it, it, it reminds me of that one scene in Wizard of Oz where they're, like, at the beginning of the Yellow Brick Road, and the witch comes out and is like, you know, knock this shit off right now. Yeah. It, it's like, and she turns into red smoke, you know? It's like that. Yep. He just, like, takes his cape, whirls it around. He whips his then, cape over, yeah, and then they're gone. That's so cool. It was good. Spike takes Helen off to the Old West, and ties her up on the train track, because everybody loves a good cliche. Hell yeah. Then he leaves to a news channel to announce that Helen has been taken to Channel 1, and to taunt Roy into coming back to save her. Roy is going to the rescue, and he wants the kids to stay inside and make sure they have donuts waiting for him when he gets back, because he's probably going to be really hungry. I love how, like, Helen's on the thing, and she's like, man, this is so cliche, I fucking hate men. You know, why has he yeah. got me tied to a railroad? And then the, the tarp comes off the thing that she's tied to, and it's dynamite. And she's like, Barrels oh, of great. dynamite. Not, yeah, not only am I going to get ran over by a train, but he's, the asshole's going to blow me up, too. Yep. And she's like, typical men. She's <laughs> <laughs> fucking funny as shit. Like, yeah, of course they're going to blow me up, too. Well, Roy enters the satellite dish again, and he comes out of the saloon dressed like Clint Eastwood. Of course. He stumbles out of the saloon. Not cool like <laughs> Marty McFly playing Clint no. Eastwood. But, you know. Actually, I think it's cooler in this movie than when Marty did. Because when Marty did it, he was hard. <laughs> but then like when he got to a point, he wasn't. You know, It was like right. all the fucking bulletproof vest. And this one, he knows he's like, he's fucking, he's fucking, you know, John Ritter. <laughs> There's no way that guy's going to be a tough guy. Yep. But he's wearing, but he even, he's wearing he the Clint Eastwood there. poncho and everything. 
Yeah. Which is like a blanket draped over him. <laughs> yeah. Roy sees Helen and he and he starts to head towards her, and that's when Spike comes out and stops him. Meanwhile, the Undertaker steps out, or the co- the coffin maker uh, steps out to take Roy's measurement. It is a gunfight at high noon, and they draw, and Roy is trying to fight his gun out from under that blanket that he's wearing, and Spike just shoots him in the knife. Then Spike walks up to make sure he's dead, but there's no wound. It turns out the remote control was in his shirt pocket and it stopped the bullet. So does Roy shoot Spike? No, that'd be too easy. Instead, they got to wrestle. Wrestling match. (laughs) Buttons get hit on the remote and Roy is... Roy finds himself as Captain Picard in orbit around hell. Hell yeah. And his entire crew is Spike. Spike as an android. Spike as a Klingon. Well, it didn't really start out like that. It was kind of like a thing. Like, they were like regular people. And then when Spike comes on the view screen and he starts, you know, talking them down, then they all become Spike. And it was like, what the fuck? Get me off this fucking shit. But it's great. I mean, the the set looks like the set. Yeah. The costumes, uh, here or there, there's like a little difference, but it's pretty much the same. They're okay. They just got different communicator pins. Yeah. Uh, Well... I don't want to get a Trekkie into this shit, man, because like I, I'll fucking pick one, but yeah, yeah, there's like it, it, they, it, it suffices. It does good. It, it's close enough that you know what they meant. Yeah, but if if you drag me into Mike in a discussion and shit, we're gonna pick that shit apart. <laughs> Spike tells him to set phasers on torture. Nice. And before they can shoot Roy, he remotes into a crash test dummies commercial. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I like how it's like, oh, and we're good. we got seatbelts, airbags, and stuff for the back and front, but the passenger's screwed, and he just realized that he's a passenger, <laughs> and he immediately starts grabbing the other belts off the other dummies, like, that's going to help. In the Old West, the train is heading toward Helen, and Roy remotes right out of the car before the crash, uh, before the crash, and he lands in a hockey match, which is just another car crash. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, he wrote remotes from there to find himself standing on the side of the road and driving over Miss Daisy. Okay, when I was <laughs> when this came out and I saw this when I was a kid, this was edgy as fuck. Yes, it was. And it's like it's like the sadistic hidden prank show. They play this so straight, <laughs> it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, he sees he sees the old lady walking down the street. He sees the car coming up behind her. He yells at her to look out. Spike is driving the car, and he runs right over the lady. And you get to see the two thumps as he goes over. Bump, bump, yeah. Then he puts it in reverse and goes over her again and kind of giggles. <laughs> and then puts it in drive and goes over her again. He gasses a little bit that third time. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes after Roy. Who's standing by his side that says, driving over Miss Daisy, now playing. Yeah. <laughs> Roy hits the button on the remote and ends up in Jack Tripper's living room. They play the theme music. The door opens. Janet and Chrissy walk in and go, where have you been? All right. So the commercial for this movie, the trailer, shows that when they deliver that line, where have you, Jack, where have you been? It shows their faces and it's clearly, you know, lookalike. Right. When they made the movie, they took that that out. So it looks more, even more. 
yeah, they're far enough away the that set. they they that to your mind it looks like them, but it's yeah, it's totally. But I remember seeing their faces and shit, so I'm probably just remembering the trailer and shit. They did a great job. I fucking love oh, yeah. that set, and you know how I feel about that show. So yes. when this pop, this is like that Star Trek pop. It's like, oh man, this yep. like last fifteen minutes of the movie is just pop, 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 pop. Right. Then he hits the remote and ends up in a castle. And Spike challenges him to a sword fight, except the props people didn't provide Roy with a sword. Uh, also, the train is bearing down on Helen. Oh, shit. Back in the house, Daryl and Diane, they're going to come to the rescue. They grab Roy's sword off the wall and head out into the backyard. The satellite dish comes awake, and they toss the sword into the satellite dish and head back in. Thank God that that sword landed on that channel in that spot. <laughs> I know. It like flew right through the window, right to Roy's hand. And this fight is on. And it turns out that Roy was co-captain of his junior college fencing team. So you're in trouble now, mister. He tries to sell it off like way better. He's like, yeah, I won first place. Well, the second place. I, I was first. I was a captain. I was co-captain. Okay. He goes down I was like, like of- one spot away from being ranked 87th in the country. Yeah, if 12 people died, I'd become president. You know that, right? <laughs> okay, whatever, guy. Well, they battle back and forth, and Roy drops the remote. He and Spike fight over it, end up pushing some buttons, and end up in a salt and pepper video. This is like the second time salt and pepper showed up on our show, right? It is. Awesome. I fucking love these girls. <laughs> And it's not like they're just parodying the video. This is the video. Yeah, they wrote a song for this movie, and then they made the video for the movie with the song. And then had to do the entire song, the entire video, start to finish. You get to see John Ritter dressed up like Prince, or the artist formerly known as Prince at this time. Imagine um, Prince, his Super Bowl halftime show. If it was bright yellow, and instead of Prince, it was John Ritter. No, they that is actually like a suit that he wore. I forgot what video it is, but they're doing like a a total parody of this shit. Oh man, the yellow headband and shit that that's yeah. from like some kind of like MTV Movie Awards thing that he did that year or some okay. shit that he like he humped his guitar on stage and it made like a big deal about it. So okay. when they put John Ritter and they're like, we're gonna do a Prince thing. It was like, well, we have to have that MTV Movie Awards performance suit. Yeah. I mean, that's not the same one, but it's the same style. I mean, John Ritter's not going to it, it. There's no mistake in it when you see it. That's a Prince outfit. Yeah, no. Top dollar, yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I think John Ritter's actually came with the ass cheek. That's the only difference. <laughs> well, Roy loses the remote, and the dancers start picking it up and passing it around. One of the dancers hits the mute button, and it takes them a few seconds to figure out how to turn the volume back up. I love that, yeah, because they get it's the DJ, it's Cinderella from Salt and Pepper. She actually grabs it, like you're fucking up the movie now, and, and then she like points the shit at the thing. By the end of the song, Roy gets the remote, and Spike wants to make a deal. It's like somehow Roy can hurt him with this remote or something. But Roy tells Spike that he's been canceled, hits the remote, Roy or Spike gets disappeared off somewhere, and Roy goes back to dancing. 
Yeah, he does like this weird dance thing as like a <laughs> sign off and then hits the button. So he goes, but the way he aims it, he aims a remote as self as he's doing the dance thing and he hits the button. So he goes to the West World. Yep. Back in the old West, the train is still coming. And in the control room, the escape frequencies have all been deactivated. Helen and Roy are trapped here now. Roy unties Helen and he tries to change them to a different channel, but that's not working. Daryl tries to will them to turn the TV off. And, and that's when Helen tells Roy, what do you want to do? What do you do when you want the TV to go away? And he says, you, hit, you turn it off. And he hits the power button. They disappear just as the train explodes twice. Well, it hit the dynamite, caused an explosion. And then I guess that explosion causes the train to explode. It's weird. It is weird. It, it, or it's like when them like Pink Floyd music videos where they just show it two explosions back on back. You know, it's like boom, boom. Yeah, just show the same thing from two different perspectives real close yeah. to each other. Okay. Well, it worked. Um, and Helen and Roy are shot out of the satellite dish into the backyard. The neighbor dog shows up growling. And Roy says, whoever left the gate open is going to lose their allowance for a month. <laughs> the dog leaps at him. And while it's in mid-leap, the satellite dish comes on and sucks the dog up. Never mind, whoever left the gate open gets a bonus. Bonus, yeah. That's great. <laughs> and then the satellite dish kind of implodes. That's great, too. I love that. Because it's like, uh, oh, man, what was that movie where, like, the house is evil and, like, the family gets out, but then the, the house implodes? That's Poltergeist, the house. right? Is it the might, house? Yeah, follow the house of Usher, yeah. I remember like something like I, they redid it like a thousand times, like on the Simpsons and Family. That's guy. the one with I'm the mausoleum sure. and the faces carved into the mausoleum started crying. Yeah, blood. and it like does a light thing and implodes, and they're like, "Oh well, that's yeah. the end of the story. Everybody's safe yeah, that's, now." That's Fall of the House of Usher, like the seventy-eight part. Back in the medieval castle, the dog has Spike treed up a chandelier, <laughs> and Crowley hops in in a suit of armor. He is taunting that. Spike and. In the control room, the intern Pierce, well, he's in charge now. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Daryl gets another voiceover and explains that his parents got back together. His dad started a fencing academy, and the only TV he watches is 60 Minutes. Lame. And it shows I get Roy talking. And shit. Yeah. It shows Roy talking with one of his students. And he said, hey, that's a new trick you learned. Where, where did you learn that new thing? She says, I, I saw it on TV and wanted to try it. He says, yeah, don't watch too much television now. And then freeze frame and roll credits to the salt and pepper tune again. Oh, yeah. With closing credits and hellish TV title parodies. My favorite yeah. TV title parody of the entire movie was My Three Sons of Bitches. Yeah, there, there's actually some good ones in there, but you know, with Tubi being Tubi, they look cut you off. Yeah. So go go look at it down, like just the credit sequence on like YouTube or something, because there's some funny shit in there. Yeah, that's our show. That's a whole bunch of memory lane stuff there. Like it's not a deep movie. There's like it's no not. real big message <laughs> besides like don't watch TV and spend more time with your family, which right. that's that should be like a no brainer, but uh, it's just a fun movie especially if you need like a nostalgia hit or you know you're you know you was around that time and you just you never seen this movie go ahead and watch this movie you know yeah it's a fun little piece of fluff and that's a podcast oh yeah 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at cdfpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to patreon.com slash cdfpod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.